Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you'll not be offended if I take a few moments of your time this morning at the outset of our tenure service together this week to express my gratitude and sincere appreciation for the kind invitation to come and be with you. I have uh, loved and known about your work and have appreciated what I know about this church for many years. Some of you I've known before. I'm always and forever running across somebody that knows somebody that I know some from some other place. And I said to a fellow here the other day when that happened, I said, it's a small world, isn't it? He said, no, it's a large family. And it is. I like that concept because we are family, and I'm glad to be a part of your family and so appreciative of your kind invitation to come. I don't have anything with which to impress you. I didn't come for that reason. You've already seen that I'm not very pretty. But I will say to you that if you love the Bible, and if you love God, and if you love what you can become as a child of God, then you will enjoy the week, not because I have come to distribute the information, but because the information is timely, because it is timeless, and because it has in it the character of God Almighty, the Creator of the universe. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that's why I'm here. And if you share in that kind of idea, then you will benefit greatly from the week, because we'll talk about Him, and we will suggest to you how He has said that we should act in the culture in which we live, and in the times that we call home. So thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to being with Brother Edwin and his family. I've known them, albeit not well, for several years. I've known of his work for a long, long time. He made known to me last night that I knew him as a boy, but uh, I had forgotten that. And that's getting increasingly more prominent. I told somebody the other day, when you... Uh, when you baptize the children of the one you baptized in the first place when he was a teenager, then you're coming along in your age. I'd like you to turn to Romans, the 12th chapter, and let's read. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable unto God. You children on the back row, let's get started with the meeting right, please, and let's read our Bibles and not toss things back and forth, okay? And I don't mean to be mean. I just want us to be sure that we're serious about what it is that we're doing. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, 
with the prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. If we are to maintain the right demeanor in this culture in which we live, we will have to have a proper attitude toward God, toward one another, toward our enemies, toward all people, all times. Attitude is such a vital and important consideration, no matter what the endeavor. It makes no difference what you're doing. You must give some consideration to the attitude or that thing will flounder. It will not have a kind of strong substance or quality to it. Attitude is so important. Any coach will tell you that he'd rather have a man with a good ability and a fine attitude than a man with a great ability and a poor attitude. The man with a good attitude will do something good for the team as well as for himself. The man with a bad attitude will coddle himself more likely be a detriment to the team rather than a help. Attitude is important in business. Attitude is important no matter what you do. I wish you could have known Brother James I. Anson. He was an elder in the church where I preached for many, many years. He's passed away now. He was a retro officer in the National Aeronautics Administration Space Program. He was responsible for bringing the spacecraft back into the atmosphere. He had a presidential citation for having helped bring Apollo 13 back when they had to abort the mission. He was an interesting man, and he used to invite me back before things happened that prevented from doing it, from him doing this. He used to invite me out to the space center there in Houston to watch as they flew simulated landings on the moon. One day I was there, sitting at the various console that you see on the television when they show the space shots, and they were trying to land a man on the moon, and they were bringing back the capsule, and he was involved in that. 
And so at the break, I asked him, I said, you keep talking about the attitude of the spacecraft. Explain that to me. He said, well, we have an atmosphere, an envelope around the world that is called the atmosphere. And he said, when you bring the spacecraft back into that atmosphere, you have to have it pointed at just precisely the right direction. If you point it in too much into the atmosphere, the friction will burn up the spacecraft. If you don't point it into the atmosphere far enough, it'll bounce off the atmosphere, go out into space, and we can't retrieve it. I said, so the attitude of the spacecraft is very important. I said, how would you define the word attitude? Jim was an interesting fellow. He flew a Japanese Zero and Torah, Torah, Torah's things, those air shows. He restored Corvettes. He had a handlebar mustache. He twitched his mustache and his ashen complexion furrowed somewhat in his brow, and he said, well, he said, I'll tell you, Bowman, attitude is where you are in relation to where you ought to be. And that is an apt description of an attitude. It begins with the right attitude toward God. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's your attitude toward God. And if you're going to make it in this culture, it will be because you have made a personal presentation of yourself to God. It will be because you have said to Him, Here am I, send me. It will be because you have said, I'm presenting myself to you, use me as you see fit. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That is everything about you. Your body is that with which you articulate what you are. It is what you give to other people as an attitude. Your body reflects that. We call it sometimes body language. But your body reflects the kind of person that you are. And you are to present it to God as a living sacrifice. I'm not unaware of the fact that we most of the time think of that passage as being a conflict between the old law and the new law. But I believe there's more to it than that. It's just not the differentiation between the dead sacrifices of the old law and the living sacrifices of the new. What he's saying is, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. That is, every day you live, you present yourself to Him. You make a presentation of all that you are to Him on a daily basis. That's being a living sacrifice. That means that you put yourself at His disposal in everything. It means that you make no decision without acquiring information about how the Bible speaks to that situation. It means that you consider God in the smallest little things that you do as much as the large things. It means that you use wise choices we talked about in the class today to make decisions on behalf of what you are and what you mean to society. So then, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Then he says, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You present yourself to Him, you present yourself on a daily basis to Him, and you present yourself as sanctified to a special calling. It means that you cannot be like the world around about you. Love not the world, says John, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the vainglory of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
And the world passeth away with the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father, that's continuous, present, active, that verb. He that keeps on doing the will of the Father abideth forever. That is important. Holy, acceptable unto God. That's how you present yourself a living sacrifice to Him. Question. You do that? Are you involved on a daily basis in presenting to Him yourself as you begin that day? Do you make Him the Lord of your life? Do you make Him the first thing that you think of in the morning? Do you give Him, do you give yourself to Him? That's the attitude that you're going to have to have to function in this world as you ought. So then he says, give yourself to Him, present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We've had, uh, translators have had a lot of trouble with that uh, terminology there. American Standard, New American Standard translates that spiritual. That's probably a good translation. I'm more inclined to think that the verb there, the word there, which is a form of our word logic, is best translated by the King James Version. In fact, I use that version because if it was good enough for the apostles, it's good enough for me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I do believe that in this instance, that is the proper translation. He says, which is your reasonable service. Now, I want to say to you that the only service that makes any sense at all, the only life that is truly reasonable, is living the life that is presented to God on a, on a daily basis. It's the only life that makes any sense. It's the only life, ladies and gentlemen, that reaches off into eternity and attaches itself to the, to the eternal life. It's the only way you're going to get out of this life alive. It's the only choice that makes any sense at all. It is your reasonable service. It is your one reasonable service. And so, he says, present your body as a living sacrifice because it makes sense. It makes sense. You're going to die. It is inevitable. You're going to meet that inevitable interview of judgment. And so it makes sense to live a life that is living for Jesus on a daily basis. Present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable search. Be not conformed to this world. Con always carries with it the force of with or together. Forma is the Latin there. And it means formed. Formed, be not formed with this world. I'm here to tell you that far too many of us form ourselves according to the world. We want to walk like the world. We want to talk like the world. We want to go where the world goes. The Latins had a name for that. They said, Vox populi, vox dei. That is the voice of God. The voice of the people, rather, is the voice of God. That's culture. Culture will tell you, we are the rulers. We are the ones. We are the ones you want to please. And they exert a huge force upon us to cause us to want to please the world. And that is being formed with the world. Now, he's not saying that you need to be some kind of freakish sort of fellow that makes it his job to stand out in a crowd. There are things to which you can conform without being in detriment. But the fact of the matter is that you cannot let the world make your choices. 
Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. I will not bore you with the idea of this metamorphosis. But it is simply meta, which means after, and morpha, which means change the essential nature of man. That's tantamount to presenting your body as a living sacrifice. You make the choice that you're going to dedicate yourself totally and completely to Him, that He's going to call the shots in your life, and that nobody else is going to intrude on His territory. So be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How do you do that? By the renewing of your mind. And how do you do that? It's a constant problem, folks. We have to constantly be renewing that which we have. We have to polish our knowledge, as it were. We have to constantly recapitulate. We have to constantly recap the things that we know. We have to constantly regurgitate the things that we know so that we can meditate on the higher things and the good things. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scornful or stand in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate both day and night. Renewing constantly your mind is a part of having a right attitude toward God. You have to listen to what He says. And He's not going to speak to you in some still, small voice. If you're going to hear Him, you must immerse yourself in the Word of God. You must study to show yourself approved to God. That's the way you renew your mind. So then, we must have the right attitude toward God. But we must have the right attitude toward ourselves. That's very fundamental. Listen to what he says. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of grace, of faith. For as we have many members, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Could I ask you a question? Where do you fit in that? Where do you fit? That's what you have to have, is the right attitude toward yourself. I, I just deplore the fact that we have to have a spirit of competition among ourselves. If we're not qualified to be an elder, we look with disdain upon those that are. If we're not qualified to lead the songs, we're highly critical of those that do the song leading. When in reality, what we need to do is begin at the beginning which says, let every man among you be careful that he doesn't think more highly of himself than he ought to think. We ought to see ourselves as having little or no value at all when we're divorced from our relationship to Jesus Christ. That is absolutely necessary. We begin with the spirit of humility. Humility is a, is a horrible thing. To, it, it's, it's hard to get. The minute you say you got it, you lost it. You say, I'm humble. No, not anymore. <laughs> You're done bragging about it. I heard about a fellow that worked in one of the plants down in Houston. He got the uh, award for being the most humble man at the plant. Then they took it away from him because he accepted it. You can't do that, see? <laughs> Humility is one of the really hard things. And I think what makes it hard is that we've labored under kind of a misconception about humility is, what is. 
We think it's it's a guy that goes down with his chin down like that all the time and just looks up at people this way. It does have a kind of a downward trend toward it, but that's not the that's not humility. Humility, ladies and gentlemen, is an attitude. It's an attitude, and what it says is that I have no value without Jesus Christ. And what it says, Lord, you tell me what to do, and I will do it. You speak to God to ask Him to make you all that you can become, and you become humble. You don't get up some morning and say, I'm going to be humble today. You get up some morning and you say, I'm going to do what God told me to do today, and you become humble. That's humility. And we need that so desperately. And he says, we need everybody. He said, God has given grace, gifts, if you please. And I understand that perhaps these are spiritual gifts, but I'm not particularly in, uh, interested in where the gift came from. Be it one of these gifts and these people that had it by a direct manifestation of the Holy Spirit, or be it gifts that are given by some sort of genetic thing. It's still the same attitude that you use to manage the gifts. Our attitude must be the same as those who had the gifts in some other way. He says, having gifts differing. Every man uses gifts for the whole. You fit somewhere. Everybody fits somewhere. We just need to stay where we fit. My dad was a tailor. He ordered clothes for many, many years from the old National Tailoring Company in Chicago. He could measure you for a suit, and when that suit came, it would fit just exactly. And he would tell you right quick, like, that things wear out where they don't fit. When we have trouble among one another, it's most of the time somebody is out of place. Somebody is not where he fits. I hate cross. I hate jigsaw puzzles. I hate them. Norma loves them. Denise comes over on a Sunday afternoon. She says, "Let's put the puzzle together, Mom. Four hundred and sixty-eight thousand pieces." They put it out on this table. It goes from side to side. Here they go working on this puzzle. Come, Daddy, and do the puzzle with us. Come, honey, and do the puzzle with us. No, I don't believe so. I'm watching the cowboys there behind 46 to nothing. I get over there and I say, well, I'll help you a little bit. I can't do it. I find one and I say, this let's go right here. And Norm said, no, that, that doesn't fit. I won't go there. I find one that's got a flat edge on it. You know, that always means it's outside. So, I put the, no, that, that won't fit there. You can't put it there. You can't put it there. Well, where's the box? The box has a picture on it. I'll find me a color. And when I find the right color, I'll put it in there. They hand me the box. Popcorn. All it is is popcorn. Every piece of popcorn looks like every other piece of popcorn. I find a place that looks like it's got a hole on it, and I say, this fits in here. And she said, that won't fit. And I said, you want to bear it? It won't fit. Now listen to me. You forced that one piece into the puzzle, and you fouled up the whole puzzle. Do you get the point? We must not try to fit where we don't fit. But the other side of that is, we must fit where we do fit. 
And please be advised that every part of the puzzle protrudes in order that it might be received by another part, and every part of the puzzle is intended in order that it might receive another part. That means we're all interconnected. Let us not forget that we're all important. Listen to me. There are no big preachers and little preachers. I deplore that. There are no part-time preachers and full-time preachers. If a man preaches, he preaches. But I want to say to you that creatures need no more recognition than anybody else. We're all just Christians who preach. Please hear me. We are Christians first and we preach. And so we need to understand that we just need to get where we fit. And he says, if you're an exhorter, man, you be the best exhorter that you can. And if you're a teacher, you be the best teacher you can be. And if you're one who gives diligence with something else, if you're one who rules like an elder, then you do the best job you can. So we need to get a good idea of who we are. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and abideth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We need to look into the mirror for the soul and see ourselves for what we are and then be the very best what we are that we can be. I feel just like Popeye. I am what I am. That's the way it has to be. Then we need to have a right attitude toward others. He says in verse 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, Continue instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. And he goes through verse 15 by saying, Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another mind, not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. How's your attitude toward other people? Are you able to rejoice with little Johnny's mother when the little Johnny receives and honor and you didn't receive an honor? Are you able to do that? Are you able to weep with them that weep? We do a better job of weeping with them that weep than we do with rejoicing with them that rejoice. But we have to do both. We have to do both. And I'll tell you how you do that. He said, be kindly affectioned one toward another. Are you aware, ladies and gentlemen, that our English word kin is akin to our word kind? That's where we get the word. If you're in the body of Christ, you're of the same kind. And if you're of the same kind, you're kin to one another. Because kindredness is kindness. I can give you all kinds of definitions for kindness. Sometimes it means benign. Sometimes it means useful. Sometimes it just means favorable. But in the real essence of the word, it means kin. It means you treat somebody like you're kin to them. You don't mark off your kinship, do you? No, even if you have a little trouble, you'll try to work it all out because you're kin, you see. And we are kin. We are spiritually kindred. We are kin to one another, and we ought to have the highest sort of kindred kinship. I have people among my people in God that are much closer to me than my own blood kin. Because we are spiritually connected 
We are spiritually kin to one another. And he said, be kindly affectioned one to another. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in your business. Rejoicing, serving the Lord. Patient, distributing to one another. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Be of the same mind one toward another. What a wonderful thought that is. He says, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. That's so important. Don't let your mind dwell on being somebody. Condescend. That's humility again. It's not saying I'm humble. It's condescending to help somebody. It's bending down. There is no more beautiful thing, ladies and gentlemen, than somebody who helps somebody who doesn't have to. That's true philanthropy. We have a fellow that's a deacon at the church where I preach. He's about six feet and six inches tall and weighs about 375 pounds. He's a huge man. And I call him Day Glow. Day Go. He got the best. He got the very best of both David and Goliath. He has Goliath's size, but he has David's spirit. And when his little baby was born, the first one, I remember him walking in, carrying the little kid in his hand like this. That's what I'm talking about. We need to carry one another in our hands. Strength must be put under control. The true spirit of meekness is strength under control. And he says here, condescend to me, be not wise in your own conceits. If you have some special talent, relish in it, but relish in the use of it for the good of the whole. Relish in the use of it for somebody else. Bend down to help somebody. Lower yourself to the attitude that is characteristic of one who understands that he has opportunities and has obligations as a result of the opportunities. And then, he gives us a real strong thing to look at about our attitude toward opposition. If you're going to live in this world and you're going to take a stand for the truth, you're going to have opposition. Even inside the Lord's body, you'll have opposition at times. You have to watch about that. And he says in that regard, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide all things honorable in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Did you, did you notice that he accedes to the possibility that you can't do it? That's what he's saying. But he says, don't recompense evil for evil. You know what? That's hard. That's really hard. Because when somebody does something to you, retaliation is the first thing you think about. I'm going to get him for that. You can't do that. You can't do that and be a Christian. You can't do that and present yourself a living sacrifice to God. You can't do that and be the part that God expects you to be. You can't do that toward others and be pleasing to God. Jesus did not do that. He never recompensed evil for evil. And he lived in a culture that should have given him every right to do so because nobody has ever been so defamed and treated as Brother Wiley read for us this morning in such a despicable fashion as was the Lord of glory. And yet he never retaliated in kind. See him there, ladies and gentlemen. See him there, suspended between God and man on Golgotha's rugged height, nailed to a cross. 
and see Him looking down on fallen mankind and not calling down ten legions of angels, but saying in a hushed and dying voice, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What kind of Savior is that? It's what we should be like. He says, as much as in your life, live peaceably with all men. Avenge not yourself. Give place to wrath. It is written, I will take care of it. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Do you, do you know why? If I'm the one who meets out the vengeance, I won't be very hard on Brother Ed because he's my friend. But somebody that doesn't like me, and I know he doesn't like me, I'll do too much. God will do what's right. He's the one to take care of vengeance. He's the one who is totally omnipotent, totally omniscient, all-knowing and all-powerful. He will mete out the judgment that is appropriate to the crime. We need to bear that in mind. Now, you have a right to be mad at somebody. And I'll tell you how long you can do that. Just exactly how long. Paul says to the Ephesians, let not the sun go down on your wrath. That means you have about 12 hours in daylight savings time to be mad at somebody. Let not, what, what, do you, can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, what a different world it would be if nobody ever stayed mad more than 12 hours? Can you imagine what that would be? If we started over every morning by presenting our bodies a living sacrifice to God, if we lived with an attitude toward ourselves like it ought to be, if we lived with an attitude toward others like it ought to be, and we said, okay, I just got about eight more hours, or just seven more hours to be mad. Ooh, I've got to get rid of this by night. It'd be a different world, wouldn't it? God's ways work. They work. He says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing this, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. A fellow came to me once, and he said, I'm having trouble with such and such. I can't stand him. He can't stand me, and we can't stand one another. He said, I want you to tell me what I need to do. I said, well, the Scripture says that you ought to be nice to him. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. That's what you ought to do. You ought to be nice to him. You ought to treat him kindly. Let him see Christianity in you. I saw him about, about three months later. I said, how are you doing? He said, you know that advice you gave me? He said, it really worked. He said, I've been so nice to that guy, it's nearly sickening. He said, every time I turned around, he turned around. I was doing something good for him. He said, I really got him. Listen! That's not what he's saying. That's not the reason you do. You may as well stuck him with a knife. It's the same thing. He said you'll heap coals of fire, and if that means you'll cause him to look to God and repent of being your enemy. And so we need to be careful how we treat one another. It's important. We live in a culture that is swallowing up religion. We live in a culture that would really like to get rid of all sort of restraints. That would like to unbuckle morality and let it run free. 
that would like to have no rules and no regulations. Everybody doing what he feels is good in his own mind. That's the society that we live in. And in order to live in that society and still maintain our relationship with God, we're going to have to be right with God in our attitude. We're going to have to be right with ourselves in our attitude. We're going to have to be right with others in our attitude. And we're going to have to be right when people oppose us. How are you doing with that? That's where it all starts. If we have the right attitude and make the right choices, we're in the road to getting along in an increasingly difficult society. We'll be talking about that all week long. I hope you'll be here and enjoy it with us. If you're not a Christian, what's your attitude towards sin? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and able to forgive your sins? Do you believe that if you come to Him and confess your faith in Him and repent of your sins and are baptized as He said to do, that you be His child? It is a fact. And if you haven't done that, I wouldn't be your friend if I told you you are all right. I'm not going to do like most of the preachers in the world and tell you all you have to do is believe in it. That is not what he says. And I have no right to say anything other than he didn't say, than what he did say. And so then, I encourage you to come and obey the gospel like the Bible says do it this morning. And if you've been a Christian and you've fallen by the wayside, I want to encourage you to come back to the Lord by repentance, confession, and prayer. If you owe a duty to God this morning, why don't you surrender all that you are to Him and come while we stand and sing.